This is Purple Radio On Demand. Good evening and welcome back to Who Sock Podcasts, where today we'll be discussing, finally, Open Doors. Yes, Yay. the actual audio that Husok helped release. And in addition to that, we'll be listening to, not listening, <laughs> watching, <laughs> we'll be watching Tomb of the Cybermen. We already watched it. We did already watch it, <laughs> we're reviewing it. We have to discuss it. I'm in, I'm in many states of mind. Also, today. hi. Yes, um, to help us open these doors, I've got some friends. Opening the door to the present, I've got Ollie. Hello, hello, hello. To the future, I've got Cormac. Hello. And to the past, I've got Joe. I have returned. From the depths of time and space, I have come back to haunt you once more. From across the stars, a thousand blood-torn galaxies I have slain to be here upon this fine for Durham weather day. Yay. Very good. Before we jump in... I had tea. Indeed. Two things. One, spoiler warning. Yep. Because, honestly, I've actually got to remember the spoiler warning. Yeah, we will <laughs> spoil... I mean, this mm. is gonna, we're going to discuss probably a lot of classic Who Cybermen stories. A lot stories, of Second Doctor. Lots of a lot of Second Doctor. Uh, different things. Uh, and also, obviously, Open Doors. But not necessarily in depth of the, the Outer Shadows. Shadows. We're going to try to make yeah. this an introductory thing where possible. We have discussed this a little with the Out of the Shadows Confidential podcasts, which you can go back to and listen to on the Who Sucks Spotify. Um, but we're going to try a uh, plug, plug. <laughs> um, yeah. But the hope is to not spoil the rest of the show if this is your first introduction to it. Absolutely. And the second warning, I'd say, is just a general content warning. Tomb of the Cybermen does involve racist tropes and characterizations, it which is, is yeah. more than just classic who it is bad it is it very is bad it is really bad. bad and this will be discussed in some depth um so there will be warning for the fact that we're going to be discussing how awful some of the racist stereotyping characterization tropes are within the episode and also some of the sexism and other forms of just awfulness that appear in this story and that also set it Above and beyond other classic Who stories. Mm, yeah. <laughs> so I, I, yeah. I, I think it's the worst classic Who story I've seen in terms of racism. But I, I mean, you haven't seen, seen Talons. Talons. Yeah, I seen mean, Talons. go. Uh, like, I oh, seen Talons. All we're saying is, feel free when Open Doors is done to. We'll be discussing that want. afterwards. Yeah. So yeah, don't. We're just giving you a warning of that. Let's start off with. With apologies, email. <laughs> apologies. <laughs> with email notification. Let's just start off with Open Doors. So, Oh, that's a great soundboard sound. I love it. Why, thank you. <laughs> Jason Whittaker has been living on the streets of Stockton for three months, where people have been kept disappearing and no one seems to care. Until the arrival of a mysterious woman. Who is she? Can she help these missing people be found? But more importantly, what's wrong with that shadow? So, Ooh. Open Doors. What do we think? I mean, I have to say, I'm going to put this out here right now, I love Open Doors, but in terms of production value, it is actually one of the weakest of the Out of the Shadow stories, and I would actually say it is that is an encouragement to listen to the next ones. <laughs> um, it's notable, I mean, you have the amazing score and soundtrack. Uh, the plot of the episode I'll discuss in a moment, but I want to discuss some of the other things around that first, because hopefully you've just, I mean, we've given a summary. The plot is great, but in terms of, for example, the scoring, you don't have a lot of that in this episode. 
The music is a little sparser than it would turn out to be in later episodes, where Oliver Hopkins Burke decided he didn't need a degree, actually, and uh, he made Out of the Shadows and all the music for that. And it's a little insane. No pressure. What do you think about it, Cormac? I like it. As a, I love it. I, I, I love it. Yeah, the, yeah, it is a bit, like, there are a couple of moments where mm. it's, like, left to be in a bit of silence, but, you know, I, I, think, I think it kind of works. I do think it works, it's, but I think it's notable how production evolved as the series was being made. I think it, re- like, you know, Open Doors is a very strong standalone episode, and if the entire series had been made to that quality, it would be fantastic. I am saying that it, the later stuff is made to even higher quality mm. as it went on. For the opening story, yeah. I really don't think yeah. it does much wrong. Exactly. No. I will say, I think this is, this is a podcast where we're going to be, like, genuinely critical of it and not just singing its praises for the sake mm. of it. Oh, absolutely. Uh, but I realised coming into this, I can't think of anything bad about it beyond just little nitpicks like I've noticed some repeated rhubarb but like oh, yeah. but but you know that's how I, rhubarb is nothing beyond that like, seems to be a bit of a novelty like if you can if you listen to it so much you can detect the rhubarb yeah <laughs> yeah I've listened to this episode many times yeah. honestly it's one of the ones I'm least familiar with because I wasn't actually in it uh, the next time the next trailer, trailer. <laughs> yeah the next time trailer that doesn't count also that's I mean literally half my line to the next episode <laughs> I do want to say it's great to be in Stockton and not London for once. Well, to actually have an opening companion thing. And one I know of the Sheffield, only good things about the Jubilee, yeah. I think, is the fact that they actually go around different parts of the UK. Well, I mean, you say that. Um, around the, the world era, as well. uh, Bill was Bristol and That's very true. clearly definitively based there. Otherwise, uh, a lot of, obviously, the Russell era was based either the London city experience or the Cardiff city experience. Which I suppose doing London when you've just brought back New Who makes, makes sense. sense. And I think it's okay to keep on going with London a bit. Yeah. I am glad it was branched out. I mean, hell, Amy Amy and Rory were never really based anywhere in England because they just didn't it was there was a village that they came from, Ledsworth, I think. I don't even remember. Um, yeah, that's right. But it's not too important to them in the same because their home is never important to them in the same way it is for uh, you know, like the Russell Companions and how yeah. Bill is Bristol is a very actually important location within the story did they actually Russell. say that it was in Bristol because I don't I, I, I think they did they very much where Bill was from they very much I mean A it's very obviously Bristol University they're filming at maybe this is because I'm from Bristol <laughs> but also B mm. I'm 99% sure they do like quite possibly I just don't remember it that. might they might not um, but and then, you know, I mean, I guess Amy and Roy, then they move somewhere else. And I think they move to London, but mm. I'm not sure. They just, I it's always, not really stated yeah, where they yeah. go at the end of God Complex and things. They just shift around a bit. New just York. Just somewhere. <laughs> New York eventually, yes. Yeah. Mm. Oh, dear. Uh, Ollie, you were going to say. Yeah. What was I going to say? I don't know. Neither do I. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I think I said my bit. It does raise <laughs> an interesting question about, you know, where will future companions be from? Because, I mean, Stockton mm. becomes... In a way, it becomes this season's version of the London or Cardiff or your home base uh, in a sense of this is where the modern day art stories are set to a degree. Not always, not all the time, but it's like how when you have the tenant companions, you know, and you'll have Donna's house in Chiswick or like Sarah Jane being based on Bannerman Road. This is where... Mm. Number 13, Bannerman Road. <laughs> it's immediate, very much a, immediate, yeah. It's nice mm-hmm. it being very much established mm. where it's happening. Yeah. Uh, 
which is always a fun thing to have. I think as well, yes, this is the first episode of the series, but it really does ground itself within the Doctor universe. In particular, the TARDIS won't let you in. <laughs> There's no Sonic. It is a new Doctor story. It, is, it very much no, goes for the 11th hour things, which I I love because I love the 11th hour. I mean, it does, but it also does mix in a a less, like, Christmas invasion and more Rose, in a way, uh, Mm. in a weird kind of, the focus is, in 11th hour, the focus of the episode is not on Amy, it is on the Doctor. Doctor. Rose's focus is on the titular character, it is on Mm. Rose, in a way that I would say Open Doors' focus is more on Jason than it is the Doctor. Not by much, but the next episode will focus more on the Doctor in a way and mm. establishing that. But uh, just to give you a sneak preview, not a spoiler. Um, <laughs> it was in the next time trailer. The next exactly. time trailer does count as part of the story. Exactly, exactly. Mm. Uh, as much as I personally dislike next time trailers when they exist. No, correction, I dislike them across cliffhangers in episodes because what's the point of a cliffhanger if you just put a next time trailer after it? I agree. Okay, that is that. That is that. I will, <laughs> out, um, out of the Shadows does get around this later on, as some people may or may not know. Uh, but mm. we'll keep you'll spoilers come to that when you come to, to that. a minimum. That's not a spoiler, that's me inciting, in- exciting people into watching more and listening to more. Which I you do, should. It's on I Spotify do. or YouTube. I do very much Link like. Link in the description below. <laughs> I do very much like how much it focuses on Jason. Like, the very opening bit mm. is a little monologue from Jason, and then we see meeting, we, you know, we see the Doctor through Jason's eyes, mm. and, like, everything that happens... Jason, Jason is, is your present, point of view. Apart from, like, a very little bit of the pre-title sequence, yeah. Jason yeah, is say, present yeah. for every bit. And that little bit of the pre-title sequence is the kind of scene that you would actually have in an episode before it. It's like mm. your end... And I think that is the best way to do it, where you end a series and you have a little regeneration scene with the Doctor, and then the next episode focuses on the companion. Uh, mm. And this is kind of what I'm expecting with the 60th to a degree as well, once oh, yeah. whatever happens at the end of that. Uh, you know, the next episode, I mean... We'll be focusing on the companion. We'll be focusing on the companion. the Doctor. And mm. introducing uh, Shooty to them. It's a try and trusted formula. It works, and for Out of the Shadows mm. to replicate that to an even greater proportion, I think, mm. is great. I think as well, what's good is that it, ha- it actually balances the we're just going to use the tried and tested Doctor formula, but be very self-aware. Yeah. So there were certain lines, unless it's Tim, then we can skip it, for instance. <laughs> um, Don't a, blink. Mean, yeah. uh, there's I, a lot nice. of those it's kind nice. of little references uh, that are, it's funny, the self-awareness, it it's not makes as, sense oh. for, you know, like a, whatchamacallit, for a fan audio, which is very well done, but it's designed for fans of yes. the show. Yeah, exactly. Fun. Whereas the, the actual show has to cater much more to new audiences and casual yeah. audiences. Yeah. Which I think is, on the whole, a good thing. Yeah. But here, it's, you know, exception, it's how you do it. You know, Big Finish is always able to cater more towards the fans than towards mm. a general audience. I do think, though, even if you didn't know Doctor Who, you could jump on here and know what was happening. Yeah. Which I think is incredible. It is very impressive in that way. They, There are references and jokes, but never lockout. Yeah, and it makes it feel much more authentically like Doctor Who, which mm. is the point. It is, it is our version of Doctor Who. It was made at a time when nobody knew what would be happening post the Chris Chibnall era. Mm. Uh, this was released well before Legend of the Sea Devils, even. Mm. Uh, so nobody knew exactly. So there are some allusions to a hypothetical fate of Yaz, which you have to <laughs> take in contrast with 
what actually happened in Power of the Doctor and see it slightly differently. Um, uh, you know, I, I think it's more to do with the trauma Dan faced, like the Doctor being abandoned again. Oh, I don't know. You can <laughs> find a way to justify it if you want. It, it yeah. just, it very, I mean, it is implicitly set post-Gymnal. Explicitly, the first episode isn't post-Gymnal, but you'll find some more stuff around later. It's just, was I used to be a woman, etc. Okay, so who's the pre-Evie Doctor then? <laughs> it's a good question, but you could series it always seems 13B. to be like the strong oh, yeah. least implication is that Jodie Whittaker regenerates yeah. into Evie Pratt. It is a very strong implication, but it's not outright. It is kind of like there, but the episode is also open-ended enough that it's like you don't need to have open, open door, like a door that's open. Did a door yeah, just open me. in this podcast? We're seriously carrying over this joke from the watch along. Of course we are. <laughs> of course we are. We are truly blessed. What do we think of the villain? The unknown shade. I must say, it's a very cheesy name, but I think it works, mm. especially since so Jason cheesy. had to come up with it off the top of his head. I think the doctor's reaction to like, like oh, that's again. so good, is so funny. <laughs> um, it's The unknown shade is very, very cheesy in many different ways, but also the voice... you with video game bad guy phrases? It's an excellent line. Uh, an excellent line. But it's also, you know, the voice acting is excellently done. Uh, mm. Impeccable. And the effects are fantastic. And there's some seeds and hints of future things that will, may or may not be answered. And we'll not be discussing that here, but you should listen to Out of the Shadows if you want to know. And some of it sounds like music, according to... <laughs> yes, <laughs> so mm-hmm. when yeah. we watched it in... We used YouTube subtitles. The YouTube <laughs> auto-generated subtitles. We used the YouTube subtitles. Applause! Uh, applause! Screams! <laughs> applause! Ah! Oh. There Superb. was the scenes of the massacre, or like like you know, everyone being attacked by shadows, and just applause. Music, if it, if it was <laughs> I that, think there that was important. music playing in the scene. Yeah, there was. But uh, there was definitely not applause. There was no applause. There was this. It was inside not cheers. Of us, inside of us, there was cheers. Uh, it no. Sounds like someone needs to go through and add their own subtitles to Doctor Who Out of the Shadows. That is not, it's very difficult to do that nowadays because YouTube is silly and I was about to swear that, but I'm not allowed if to do that anymore. If only there was a Open Doors novelization. In fact, there is. You can check out the Open Doors target novelization. Um, there is? Uh, Jacob wrote one, yeah. I don't know actually where it's available because if I was... I would have said... Then I just you could just email him. Yeah. yeah, I just ask about it. But there is one for that episode and there is also one for the finale. For once you've given that a good listen as well. Uh, and it is interesting, and I, I don't know if these have actually been 100% released yet, If they're, but they're out there and they exist, and it will be more discussed. And if, you know, maybe you can find them, just ask, and we'll see about getting them. I would check right now, but I can't. I'm recording a podcast. This podcast, if you didn't know. Crazy. Could I mention about the way the episode ends? Mm. Now, I think I remember discussing with this with Ollie that mm. I kind of feel the way that the Doctor solves the situation it was a bit naff. That she shoots regeneration energy. Pew, pew, pew. pew. Yeah. But I it's mean, let there be light. I am I, all I, the I Time Lords. See, <laughs> I, I really like it, and I really like it, firstly, because it uses the thing of she's just regenerated, and it is previously established. If you've just regenerated, you can blast energy. You can but do also, all sorts of crazy things. It is also sort of set up before. It's like, how do you stop shadows with light? And I have a good light source to hand. 
Yeah. And then uh, to, to hand, hand. <laughs> to hand. <laughs> That's so yeah. personally, I really like it because it's based on things that are set up previously in the episode and previously in Doctor Who, I'm, and it makes mm, sense mm, to be. Just that even on way. even on broadcast, I thought, ooh. That's Ooh, fair, but, but but you know what? It's yeah. established. I can't change yeah. it. <laughs> more than just more than just that, though, I am not opposed to a somewhat Deus Ex Machina ending in some cases. Like, because you could argue Deus Ex Machina, and it's it's the easiest thing in the world to say, like, oh, this is just. But I don't think it is that. And even if it was, I don't think that is necessarily a bad thing. Always, it uh, it, it just felt it, like. It is if a bit only out of nowhere. we had some light to defeat yeah. darkness. It, it is, sure, a bit out of nowhere, but it's something that's somewhat set up. It's a suitably dramatic ending. It leads into the confrontation, and it just... It works at tying it up. Because also, again... Why didn't Evie scream kind of, love from Gallifrey? <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, because Evie Press is thankfully not Matt Smith. <laughs> well, sp- uh, you know, I mean... If you're at the watch-along, speaking of not Matt Smith... Oh, uh, no, <laughs> <laughs> oh dear, oh dear, oh dear. I'm very excited for that, but also... Jacob I love you, great. Jacob. I love you. Um, your Matt Smith and Peter Capaldi impressions. They are... I won't I say anything. Matt Smith was actually quite good. I'm going to be honest. Yeah, I've heard uh, no, far worse. No, I, no <laughs> genuinely, I've also heard far worse. Mine would be worse. Like, I don't think anyone here could say they could do it better. But also, it's still... There is Something. a difference. <laughs> and that's how things are. That's okay. Um. We mean no offence by the... Yeah, I, was, I think I was going to say at the start, all our criticism and discussion yeah. is in good faith. No, it is. Because, I mean, no, also, I think we have... Se- we hate Jacob Coach. In fairness, I think, pa- like, there is a big difference between critical analysis and personal attacks. Mm. And personal attacks should not be made. Um, yeah, I agree. We will do a lot of uh, I criticism see that against Chris Chibnall. Probably not so much against Jacob Cook, but none of it is personal. Yeah, again, you know, it's people doing... I mean, a big thing you've always said is that Chris Chibnall, I will always respect the man for stepping in to write Doctor Who when no one else would. Mm. And fundamentally, you know, Doctor Who that I don't like is better than no Doctor Who. Because yeah, the show could have ended there. Mm. Like, had another Wilderness Year's break if no one had been back to pick it up. Uh, and it could have ended again after the Chris Chibnall era, if not for Russell T. Davies coming back. Mm. And I think that is important to remember. Just the precarious knife edge that, uh, as much as we love Peter Capaldi, those years left Doctor Who on, and the Jodie Whittaker era left, like the Chris Chibnall era left Doctor Who on. A, such a knife edge. I see that, Louis. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that it is, you know... And it's better to have some Doctor Who than to have another section of Wilderness Years. Yeah, I agree. I agree as well. And it, it gives us, you know, apart from anything else, it is quite fun to tear into things. It is, it is. It is so, you know, it's like, there's a lot more we have to talk about with Tomb, I think, mm. than Open Doors. Because <laughs> Open Doors we like. Speak, I, mm. I don't know if we have anything more to discuss. I was going to say just one thing. Uh, oh, come on. No, no, no. You, you first. Is it a positive thing that you're saying? I don't know if it then is. I can sandwich is, it with my, like, one critique that I know. It's neither positive yeah. nor negative. I, I, was, I was spending all of last night going, quick, think of something negative to say. Literally the only thing, and it like that's the thing, it gets better in like across the series. Is just there was a bit of like kind of struggling with show not tell, which is difficult yeah. in the audio drama. Yeah, I mean that's like, a big thing here is that the writing does have to work around a lot of audio, and 
un- just it's not visual. So it's and I can think of two examples, like one where it does it really well and one where mm-hmm. it's less so. I mean, I think you pointed out the less so one, Jared, of, mm. of the, like, oh, light, light, I need more light. Like, yeah, that's, that? uh, that's, I, I pointed that? out in the watch along because <laughs> it's, it's so jarring. Like, it's like, uh, like, you can hear the sound of the lighter being flicked and it's like, I mean, I, I'm okay. It's very cheesy and corny. It's yeah. a little jarring, but also it does kind of work with the point of the episode. I, so I I'm willing to give it, like, it's yeah. a criticism, but it's not going to mean I dislike the episode now. Yeah. Uh, but then equally, like, within the same episode, like, again, it there was, there was this line of having to be like, okay, well, you kind of have to do a bit of tell it's audio drama, mm. but... It, I kind of it kind of bounced it a little better. It was specifically um, Jason pulling out a blade on the doctor. First switch of all, blade. Yes. <laughs> what? But then, but then, like her immediate response of just like, no, you do, you, you don't need that. Put that silly thing away. Yeah. And then the blade flicking back without Jason saying anything. Yeah, but the, actually, the reason why I think that's really important is because when I when I first listened to that, when I heard the blade, I was like, wait. Does the doctor have a blade? Who? I, that that just that mm. one line yeah. I think just helps to give a slightly it, clearer idea of what's going it on. It codifies Jason. It, it helps it to say it because it's something it feels the character would say, and it's okay. This is what's going on. Uh, Jason doesn't say now, like I've got my blade out or something. <laughs> yeah. That would be really so bad. So it, it's like it's that I think was handled a little mm. better. Yeah. Again. No offence. No. Okay. You don't I have mean, to apologise for some level true. of criticism. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's funny because the Chibnall... Lord knows I give Jacob enough. <laughs> <laughs> the the Chibnall era tells so much more, even though mm. it's not an audio drama and doesn't need to at any point. <laughs> just, to fi- just, to, just to finish off, I was going to say that if you want to hear more about Out of the Shadows, there was Out of the Shadows Confidential. Yes. Also, somewhere on Purple Radio. Um, You can check out the Husok, uh Playlist, and you know, you find Out of the Shadows Confidential. That's our little, but we did uh, what every two weeks we did one for the two episodes that came out just to kind of oh, so would it be spoiling R&R as well? Um, listening to this one would spoil the next episode too. But if you've already, you know, listened to Out of the Shadows and want to get some behind the scenes stuff with some of the writers, cast, and crew, it's great for that. Having been entirely a viewer back then, not an exec member or pod team or cast or anything. For me, the best one was the last one, mm. the, 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 the finale one. Like I also would recommend watching, listening to all of Out of the Shadows before going back and watching that, if only because oh, yeah. I know I actually give a spoiler in one of them. Oh, yeah. no, <laughs> I'm still I, a little embarrassed about that. I remember I noted that on yeah. the group chat. I, I, was, like, I was like, somebody spoiled something. And today. I was like, oh, I forgot that hadn't been revealed yet. Whoops. <laughs> Anyway, uh, maybe I take that back. By my recommendation. <laughs> anyway, no, it's they, they are very good and worth listening to. Uh, as long as you're willing to survive the uh, the one for some of them. Hello. What does that mean? Well, go back and listen to them, and you'll find out. <laughs> maybe I will. Do it. Dare you? Double dog. Do it right now on the podcast. Right, come on, Spotify. Let's get it up. Last it, come on. I, I'm not doing the bit. I'm so sorry. I'm not committing to the bit. I'm Unbelievable. Doing this. I, I mean, we have a podcast to record. Uh, exactly. And we have a Tomb of the Cybermen to discuss to yes. give Louis the segue he's been waiting for. Let's move on to Tomb of the Cybermen. And As here, previously said, the racism. Yes. If you want to switch off, please do. Yep. Yeah. We will be critically engaging with it, but we fully understand if you're not comfortable yeah. ha- having this discussed at all. Mm. Yep. Tomb of the Cybermen. 
The TARDIS arrives on the planet Telos, where an archaeological dig has uncovered the lost tombs of the Cybermen. However, some amongst the group have, among their, us. Own, have their own motives. <laughs> among us. <laughs> Can the Doctor and crew prevent the Cybermen from returning? Among us. Indeed. <laughs> what do we think of this story? Ah, this story, I'm going to give a little bit of historical background. It was a lost story for many years, and for that time, it was revered. And there are some good things about the story. I really love the set design in Tomb of the Cyberman. I, it's like cheesy, but it's big. It's expansive for classic Who. It works really well. It, uh, the set design is amazing, and it, you know, there's a lot of great visuals. And the story was iconic enough that in the '80s they made a sequel to it, Attack of the Cybermen, where they went back to Telos, and it also had Listen from Resurrection of the Daleks for some reason. And it was pretty a bad story, to be honest. Uh, I didn't <laughs> like Attack of the Cybermen. Well, fairness, neither did I like Tomb. But it was a st- Tomb was lost. So they made a sequel to a story nobody had been able to see for almost 20 years because it had been wiped. And then Tomb was rediscovered in the early 90s. I don't remember the exact year. You 1991. Had, it was 91. I didn't remember if it was 91 or 93. eventually in 92. Yeah. Uh, it was around then. And it was a story that had been previously revered was tr- given a subsequent critical reappraisal. And yeah. it was no longer quite as revered as it once had been. Uh, in contrast, for example, to Enemy of the World, which was a middling story that was then rediscovered and, and suddenly given play, it was, it's a jewel in the second Doctor's collection, even if it also features some racism. I quite like that. Enemy of the World? Oh, I love it. I love Enemy of the World. Uh, it's, it's Patrick and, Cal- yeah. and Patrick Cal- yeah, it, what, it, what more could you want? And you can listen to our podcast on Enemy of the World. Uh, when we did that last year, or two years ago, at My Insistence. I think it was last year? Was it two years ago? I think it was two years I ago, because I really wanted to see it. I didn't see it, it was, so no, it was it must probably have been, not No, it was 22. Year. It was oh, it was February 22, and last year would be February 23, so it was two years ago, yeah. Uh, so it was a while ago. Oh, that's, I feel old. I know uh, what would make it better. Yeah. Three Patrick Troutons. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Um, it does, unfortunately, I mean, Enemy of the World does also feature some slight racism, but to a far lesser extent than Tomb of the Cybermen. Um, That's a very just, low bar, but yes. Yeah, it is. Uh, it's it's like on a classic Who level. It's got some nasty stuff in it, and that is important to note, but also it is actually a far better episode than Tomb of the Cybermen, which then was a bit slandered. And this is a story I watched a lot in my childhood, for, because it was considered famous, so I've been acquired it at some point, and I watched a lot of the famous, iconic, classic Who stories, and I started to realise this wasn't a good one. I must say, okay, obviously the racism in Tomb of the Cybermen is awful and painful. Even to watch, ignoring that, the story is, is not, is not good. that I'm good. I'm going to say, ignoring, ignoring that, I do quite enjoy the story. See, it, I disagree. It, su- it suffers yeah. from a lot of the problems of classic mm. Who being mm. slow. Yeah. But I do enjoy it. It's. I, I just think it like in. It's mm. le- it's less slow. Well, it is slow. Mm. It's four parts. Yes, it's ironically, it's yeah, it's repetitive. It's very quick for a classic Who episode, but it could be a forty-five minute new Who episode, and it would be actually quite good, mm-hmm. uh, in a way. But it, it, because it's so repetitive, it's just that like you've got you you practically practically your main villain. His entire plot point is, I'm going to control the Cybermen. Oh, no, that didn't work. I'm going to control the Cybermen with a gun. Oh, no, that didn't work. I'm going to control the Cybermen with a gun and nothing else. That's still what I'm doing. In fairness, I actually really like Eric 
Uh, I'm gonna first, actually, before I discuss Eric, this, Eric Cleek, uh, yeah. before we get into this, I'm gonna discuss the specifics of the racism, because yeah, this is important here. Yeah, Within the episode, first. the Doctor has Jamie and Victoria's companions, which I love. I prefer Jamie and Zoe, but I do love Jamie and the two, and I do love Victoria. But then you have the group of the archaeological expedition, and there's essentially three different factions within this group. You have the professor, who is British, with his British, like, archaeologists. You have, who are all good people, albeit somewhat rash, uh, like in some cases, but you know, they're, they're, they're the, the good guys. Well. Uh, you have Eric Kleeg and Kafton, who are members of the Brotherhood of Logicians, this really rich, logic-focused think tank of some kind, who have all, are all Still evil, use British pounds. Are all evil and have Eastern European accents because it's a Cold War story, and thus the British people are good and the Eastern European people are bad. This is problematic. They yeah. also have a servant named Toberman who is POC and uses the most racist stereotypes for black people imaginable. It is genuinely so uncomfortable, but I'm going to go into them because we need to actually kind of say this. Yeah, it's very but important. But he is this silent, strong man who is stupid. Oh, God, it's so bad. Like, you know, stupid without any agency within the story, pretty much, until... His sacrifice, which is the only moment he has any agency, and then he dies, and it's just, it is viscerally uncomfortable, because he is the servant of the evil people, and he is evil, but ultimately a noble savage, and oh my god, I want to throw up in my mouth. Genuinely, I'm sorry, this is really, really, un it's just so uncomfortable. I think it's uh, really important to emphasize how uncomfortable this is. Like, yeah, it is this is a story that was released in 1967. Disgusting. This is post-Martin Luther King. Yeah. Let's, you know, not just try and dismiss it as a prod product of its time. I know, uh, like, racism in the UK was still very rampant at this time. And obviously Martin Luther King did not solve this, but oh my god, is it bad. It's so bad. Like, you can, you can very visibly see that the writers genuinely believe that people of colour are somehow different. To and not just different, but subhuman in the yeah, racism of it. So it's so awful. It's Yeah, it's the most painfully Yeah, painful. it is. Uh, and ultimately, Toberman ends up being a heroic character, but that does not justify anything of what the episode does. Not even close. You know, where he goes from serving the evil brotherhood of logicians, to then serving the Cybermen, to then eventually finally being free and dying because of it. Yeah. It's just bad. Finally, you have the Americans, who are good, but ultimately profit-focused and very mercenary, and like, I'm American. Uh, and Flying <laughs> I'm a, machine. Yeah. yeah. You know, and, the Amer like, and this has this weird political web of the brotherhood of logicians funded the British expedition by allowing them to hire the Americans' rocket. And they all collaborated to make this happen. Mm. But the evil East... It's, it's curious. Anyway. It um, is a... I think they said it was a, a classic yeah. mummy curse story. Kind of, yeah. Mm. It does. And even then, that leans into... It, yeah, that leans into the... Colonialism or... The time, yeah. Like, yeah. That colonialism of the kind of classical archaeology stories. And in fairness... I love the idea of uncovering a long-lost tomb. I dislike the racism normally associated with them. By setting it in space with the Cybermen, they could have avoided the racism, and they brought it in elsewhere. Yeah, Thanks. I made it even worse. Because, you know, that kind of, like, yeah. you know, traps and stuff, like Indiana Jones is based very much around this, uh, you know, mysticism of uh, Andean civilization. 
in an awful kind of way and many other things and just that sort of stuff. Uh, but also, I love a good archaeology story. I love, you know, Boulder Trap or whatever. It is just very unfortunate that it has to do so via the, again, like, uh, this awful... Using racism as a theme. Yeah, effectively. Episode. You know, it's like this, um, like, magical uh, savage, in a way, who is different. And it's just... It's... Um, it's not good. And uh, also, after his... As uh, some of them are reading, reading this, uh, someone pointed out, so Toberman dies, and mm. what do they do after his heroic sacrifice? They, leave they just there. leave him there. Yeah. Yeah. To be fair, they leave everyone else who died. No, no, they don't. Them. One right. of the, the first person who died when they touched the electric doors, doors, open doors, he died, and they moved him away. Yeah. They did? Yeah, they moved him away. Yeah. I'm sure they did. They, 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 they moved the actor from lying down there, so they don't have to have him lying down for blocking in future scenes, at the very least. But it's still like, oh my god, they just leave him there. I mean, th- there's a part where you can actually see the doors being opened, and yeah. clearly the body <laughs> isn't there. But when Toberman dies, oh, they just leave him there. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's awful. And at that point, they're literally imminently leaving. It's not like they think they're going to come back for him. And it's not like, oh. They could have, you know, th- like, the point is, they've actually sealed the Cybermen away. They've mm. frozen them, and the Cyber Controller has been electrocuted because of Tobin's sacrifice, they actually have time now to honour this sacrifice, and they don't do it aside from one line, yeah. uh, which is tragic and unfortunate and upsetting. Mm. Uh, I, I do, however, want to discuss the villains of the episode, namely Kleeg and Kaftan first, and then the Cybermen. Yeah. Kleeg, I love as a villain. Kleeg is insane and stupid, megalomani- m- megalomaniacal, mm. narcissistic. He... Is an idiot. He never gets a single one of the logic puzzles right. Um, you see the doctor like fiddling around and making sure he does it right. It's a really fun way of showing how impotent he is, and also just the sheer level of madness he has. Hubris, I think as well. Hubris and he really madness. Really thinks that he is the cleverest I, yeah. person in the world. And I love the doctor where the doctor's like, "Now I know you are mad. I just had to make sure." <laughs> um, it's, it's such a funny scene. It's uh, it's, it's so fun how like. You know, in his I love mind, a he's good... combining his and the League of Magicians genius with the Cybermen's strength and power, not realising that the Cybermen are, like, perfectly logical and clever. Yeah, and he's, he goes, that's the thing. The Brotherhood of Logicians <laughs> are never actually logical within the story. Yeah. Uh, they believe themselves to be, but they are very much, you know, not. Whereas the Cybermen, who are far more logical end up, you know, just like, well, you're useless to us anyway. Because of course they are. Um, It's Mm. just really, really funny. Well, Uh, while the Cybermen might be logical, they are a bit sleepy, though. They are. I want to discuss Kaftan first as well, though. The other, of the main two villains, in a sense. Kleeg, like, you know, murderer, and Kaftan, who is, I think, trying to be presented as a femme fatale? I think there's like moments where with Viner, the the cowardly guy's like, we should have gone away. Like, Matt, the sensible guy, not cowardly, uh, who's like, we should have made more preparations and stuff. Where she tries to like put her hands on his arm, which is like this weird kind of like sexism where she's meant to be like, she's meant to be sexy, I think. And I don't. I feel like it's, she's supposed to be. Like, it, I think it's, they're trying to do it there. And it ties into the sexism of the episode as well. Because it's like, it's, it's so not. It's explicit when it's like, 
Oh, they, they're all going down into the, the side, into the actual tomb. Oh, yeah, and well, then they say... the women. All oh, the women will stay Of course, here. the women oh, will stay yeah, Of course. Yeah, it was, like, it's so uh, obvious. Oh. And, and the doctor, at least, was like, you know, Victoria, you should... A, you are 14, mm. and B, someone needs to spy on Catherine because she is evil, <laughs> and you will be the person to arouse the least suspicion doing it. Uh, mm. And I can understand, like, justification. Also, the Victoria Catherine scene is good, but it's still the sexism is awful, just, like... The fact that it's explicitly Literally. said that it's like there is there isn't a way to give that the benefit of the doubt. No, there's oh, not. It's because of this. It's the, it's, it's, the just, it's no, of course it's the women. It's, say it's, it's so bad. It's women. It's so bad. It's just, um, you know. But I enjoy Captain and Cleek as characters and villains, and would enjoy them far more if Toberman didn't exist in the story, because mm. if Toberman didn't exist, it would come across in that kind of Cold War era story. But I would be more willing to forgive it for that. Mm. Like, that's a level of implicit just Cold War discussion and, like, a little bit of politicization as mm. is. Because both Captain and Klieg are, like, these, you know, uh, Soviet scientists and mm. uh, Soviet women, uh, which are awful stereotypes, um, don't get me wrong in that. But they're more forgivable than what happens with Toberman. I yeah, think. because, like, they're at least treated as human essentially. Yeah. Whereas Toberman is They honestly not. they get they are evil and they get better treatment than Toberman does. Yeah. And that is messed up. Mm. Genuinely so messed up. Um otherwise the episode is very silly. It's filled with these really ridiculous like traps of like the hypno wall and the <laughs> Cyberman who uh, 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 pops out and gets pewed and uh, and why did that Cyberman just slide in? It's because like, it's not a Cyberman; it's a target. It's it's not even a trap. It was meant as like a target. System. Well, so when you realise that the actual whole tomb is a trap yeah. to get someone clever enough to open the tomb, but someone dumb enough, enough to, to yeah, but dumb yeah, enough to try yeah. to think the Cyberman would yeah. help them. Again, this is, this is what I've read a lot. People it's clever enough to do. To move to B four cap A four six cap um, shift the, the seventh degree the integrate is. the calculus differential Fourier series integrate the, um, the power series yeah the power series cap um, they're just throwing mathematical terms yeah, and you know what I think it, that actually works I think it does I think <laughs> it does it's very silly but the, the like the story is fundamentally like that's the thing. It is really a very light heart, like because of how ridiculous the tomb itself is, it is actually a very silly and not quite scary story. And now mm. there are two famous scenes from the episode. The scene of the Cybermen emerging from the tomb, they're like ripping through the fabric, which is one take. Apparently they did it in one take and they just keep reusing it. Oh, backwards they, they, and they, forwards. they do, they very much do. Uh, which in fact, like I like the big set for that, mm. but it's also showing how um like it shows I think Army of Ghosts does it better, like as an homage, when the Cybermen emerge from the uh, thing to ambush in Army of Ghosts and Torchwood. I do, personally. I like the homages, but it's, I, you know, I absolutely the scene is not love scary. how it's done in Tomb of the Cybermen, and I think it's very much, I, like, I've learnt, and I watched this, this story once I'd learnt this, I've learnt to watch Doctor Who in a way, in classic Doctor Who, I mean, in a way that slightly looks over the 
the, mm. the poor effects and looks for what they were going for. And poor I... effects are not a judge, like, at the basis of a mm. story unless the effects are so bad that they take you out of it to a degree. The yeah, web even planet. the... Remember the, the sort planet. of lightning? Yeah. yeah. But I love, I love how Horror. when the Cybermen are waking up, they, they feel much more alive. They don't feel like robots. They feel like they're organic living things that cool. are waking like... up and sort of... It does feel kind of creepy to me in in a way that I think... I think it's a little too slow and mm. difficult to truly be scary for me. If, if, I know if, it's meant to be. I think that it's one of those, like, first... in context at the time, this was like, oh, my God. Because yeah. we know it from the invasion, they call out the cocoon, then there's, as you say, army of ghosts, there's... Uh, mm. Nightmare, and, of the Nightmare Cybermen. and Silver. Nightmare and Silver. In Earthshock, they yeah. smash their they way smash out. Away, yeah. But to yeah. see it here being yeah. done first time, I think it is effective, so it has to be slow. Yeah, it does. Also cliffhanger as well. Yeah, but yeah. it's still, it's, I mean, like, it's a the little just... Great. The music is great. I love the music. The Cybermen theme It's not original, though. It's something oh, that, it, they've played it before. It's from the 10th Planet. It's from the 10th yeah. Planet, and they also played it in the Moon Base, another mm. four-parter Cyberman story, which is a lot better. Yeah, I was going to say, why don't we watch the Moonbase instead? The Moonbase doesn't really exist, I thought. But it it was animated, though. And the animation, even though it's like 20 years old, it's still pretty good. Does anyone open any doors in in the (laughs) Moonbase? Ooh, that's a good question. Because two of the Cybermen is largely about trying to open doors. That, that's why, that's why we did it, because uh, Ollie, Ollie really, really wanted to do open doors, and we were thinking, okay, what could, what else has like an open door thing? I mean, many Doctor Who stories, but I remember the two... There are two, plenty of better links I, I know, but two has the whole thing. What was no, Toberman's last words? Literally was, the door is closed, as yeah. the episode ends. Yeah, but like equally, like if you really wanted to, you could have gone for like a... Um, uh, Silence in the Library yeah. kind of connection of shadows. Uh, yeah. Oh, I mean, yeah. There's we there's something there. We need more classic here on the schedule anyway. Yeah. yeah or you could even do uh, reasons like uh, under the flood before under the lake before the flood. <laughs> <laughs> under the flood before the lake. Yaz and uh, Daz and Yan. Daz and Yan. <laughs> it's definitely not the uh, the the weakest link we've had between episodes that we've shown. In the you past. are the weakest link. Goodbye. It's a, it's a na, 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 na. Mm. They did mention doors being opened quite yeah. a lot, I, I, and they closed some. Yeah, How many, I, so, 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 I, here's the actual question: How many doors are opened in open doors? I don't know why open doors is called that. It's a good question. Because it's opening the doors to a new story. The only why was it called the pilot open? then? Because, because, there was a, because it was <laughs> no, because it's a pilot episode. It's a pilot episode. <laughs> you just chose the worst example. <laughs> also, because Heather is a pilot, uh, like that oil agent. No, 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 no. Why was it? Why wasn't oh. Open Doors called the pilot? Because that, would, that was already taken. Yeah, originality. Yeah. Also, it's um, there's a, like there's a couple of different things you can think of. Open Doors works as a title, but it doesn't really like. It's. It's, 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 it's an alright title, I think. I, like it, it's okay. I think it's alright, yeah. The bit where the, 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 the true story begins is where is where the Tarvis doors mm. are open for the that first is, time. That is it's the like, only oh, door that opens in the episode. What's that? Mm. There are doors that are open in the episode. I, the tar- oh, the lift door. The lift the, door. The Tarvis door refuses to open. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Closed doors. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 sorry, I want to go back, go back to, to a moment. Uh, yeah. the, like, I, I, there's not much music in Classic Who that I love. There's some that's iconic and there's some that's quite good, but I really love the music in in like this to be honest i really love all the cybermen themes that, that we've seen over classic who the one used like here in the 60s I think the so, one used yeah. in art with mm. the, the that um 
I don't remember the 80s one, but the one that Murray Gold composed and the one that Sega mm. Nakanova composed, the, yeah. they're all some of my favourite Doctor Who themes. That Murray Gold one. The Murray Gold one is so good. I, except for the part where it appears randomly in Voyage of the Damned for no reason. Oh, I, I never noticed I noticed it. It's the scene as the Titanic is about to crash into Buckingham Palace. It does the chord progression of the cyber theme suddenly, and I'm like, oh. what? And then it like goes triumphant, and there's no reason for it to do the exact Could same Could it be the hinting at the funny. next Christmas story? Could it be? Maybe. Like motif. Or could it be that actually Max is a secretly a Cyberman? And he wasn't a no, I, I did notice box. they yeah. used the, um, the the Cyberman theme in the next time trailer for um, Empress of Mars. Oh. oh. Did they? I didn't know I that. I think so, yeah. yeah. We love the Cyberman, that's what we say. Yeah, yeah, that motif is... The Cybermen are great villains, but I have to say, one thing I do not like in Tomb of the Cybermen is their voice. It oh, is yeah. Great, it is grating and irritating and, and too robotic. Unintelligible. I, I, I kind like the subtitles, it. you can't tell yeah, what they I mean, that's, that's the point, that they're Applause. so... Applause. They're so, they're so metallic. Yeah. But one of the issues I have with this story mm. is that it tries to replicate the whole Mexican standoff between... Uh, in the power of the Daleks, between the Doctor, Bregan and the Daleks, they could have, they're trying to do the same thing with the Doctor, Cleek, and the Cybermen. But well, I feel it's know, so you underdeveloped. See his, I mean, this is a classic Doctor Who story where yeah, you yeah. have uh, a the Doctor, a villain, and a human who is trying to control the villain, but ultimately the villain turns against them. This happens so often. I do love it. It's a very classic. I mean, it's, it's a classic story. Power and two. Power and two uh, are both series. They're series openers. Yeah. No, I mean, power is not a series opener. It is. Oh my god, it's not. It's <laughs> episode. It's a doctor, oh. it's a doctor opener. It's, it's serial three. Louis. Yeah, it is serial three. Louis, you have been. Your classic who knowledge is rescinded. I've you already given revoked. away my license. <laughs> your license <laughs> the first has been revoked. <laughs> is it power directly before this episode? Um, no, power, no, no evil. evil is. Evil. Oh, evil You've is. got, um, I, my, I don't remember all the series four stories. Well. Yeah, you've got power, and then you've got, oh, hi, spider. Hello, your friend. Sorry, that's, um, <laughs> uh, there's a little friend in my microphone. Yes, oh, I, yeah. I, I, is the spider yeah, going to contribute one. to the podcast? Would yeah. you like to? Yes, please. <laughs> Oh, I didn't know you could speak, Spider. That's eight legs. Messed All up. All praise the great ones. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. Uh, anyway, um, um, I'm just saying that yeah. I no, really find the yeah. stories underdeveloped, and no, even it, even if you the move f- the yeah. racist actors, it, uh, yeah. it's still, it still underdeveloped. is underdeveloped. It doesn't get quite enough of character in, in part because it plays into these caricatures instead, mm. and also because it doesn't end up actually doing enough with what happens in a way that power really, really does. I think Power is this story in many ways, but better. Ramped it's Patrick Troughton's debut story. Mind you, the advantage this story has over Power it is exists. Jamie. It's <laughs> Jamie. No, it's Jamie, because Jamie's not in Power. Power is the only Patrick Troughton story without Jamie, and those two are husbands, and you cannot, legitimately, you cannot, hell, in this episode, they go in and hold hands with each other, like as they walk into the tomb. It was tomb. a deliberate thing, because they was, knew they couldn't retake the, sh- the yeah. show. Yeah, Jamie um, are amazing. Two and Jamie, are gay and I love them for it. They are Absolutely. husbands and like and husbands I love them. of both yeah. and Jamie can be played by the same I, person. Yeah, they are. Um, uh, and I love uh, I love Victoria in this episode as well to a degree. Victoria is she is a fourteen year old girl. She is very immature, but like I love her and I love too as a dad in this episode in a sense. Like that, there is the the other. I talked earlier about the two famous scenes. The first is the two the Cybermen opening, which I think is pretty underwhelming. But the other one is actually Two's speech to Victoria is a very iconic speech, mm. uh, and it is a wonderful and lovely speech that I think touches many people 
and actually how you might feel about grief. I know it's resonated with me on many occasions with the passing of family. It is a lovely, lovely speech. Bertie and was saying during the watch of the episode they actually really disliked it. Bertie was saying that for a reason that, but like under the impression that this is happening within 24 hours of Evil of the Daleks and the death actually happening. Mm. In that context, you don't want to say that to someone who has just lost someone. Yeah. I don't believe it is. In part because you actually have the out of universe time of this is a whole season later. of mm. And I know that like at the start of this, the Doctor's like, oh, here's the TARDIS, etc. But I do think it feels like more time has passed in universe. In terms of how Victoria is acting in the episode, she's not acting like her father died yesterday. She is acting like he died a few weeks or a month ago. Mm. And with that context, I think the speech really, really works. Yeah, it would not it work nice. I wouldn't it would not work within the context of he died last like, you know, within twenty four hours. Just flash flashbacks to Earthshot now. But it does work <laughs> within the context of he passed away last season, which yeah. is actually how it was broadcast. And with that context, I think the speech works. I yeah. would dislike it immeasurably and like the, if it didn't, because it would just feel, you know, like, just grow up and forget about it. What? Oh, no. <laughs> no. That would, be so, that would be so bad. But no, I did have a conversation with them because it, it does work. I agree with you, Joe, that I prefer Zoe and... Jamie with mm. the Doctor because with, with Victoria I mean Zoe and Jamie is one of my favourite yeah. too is one of my favourite TARDIS teams I love Victoria very much it feels that she is sort of the stereotypical companion that will just scream at the monsters and ask the Doctor what's going on mm. it, I mean yes her scream does come to some use <laughs> like, later on she doesn't scream that I mean she screams oh, a lot in Evil in uh, Evil in some others in Ice Warriors mm, in yeah. especially if you're from the deep yeah but she does make some things work better she is 14, so I'm g giving her a benefit on that sense. Mm. I mean, she's meant to be 14 anyways, which is, I mean, also like a child in the TARDIS is terrifying. Um, yeah, um, it's, a, it's a bit questionable. It, um, but also it is a level of, you know, she is, she is more competent and like- It was nice to have many, another historian. Yes, she is relegated into an ultimately very, you know, sexistly feminine kind of 60s role within the episode. I don't dispute that. Yeah, she gets and in trouble and has to be saved by yeah. the other characters. But also, it's not like she's ever truly grating. Uh, and I enjoy her in many different ways. I think she is... I prefer Zoe, don't get me wrong. But I also do love Victoria. And I think it would be, you know, rude to dismiss. And I'm fan of, then you move into the third Doctor female companions, which I think on the whole are a massive step up. Mm. Uh, in contrast, because it's more of the you've got student. Liz, you've got Joe. I love Joe so much. I love Joe so much. I'm named after her. Uh, wow. And and you have uh, Sarah Jane, obviously iconic. And those three are all fantastic. Uh, and then you get you get more. You get the fourth Doctor ones. You have Leela. You have Romana, Freya. Hello, hi, uh, <laughs> and um, other things. Uh, and it just works a lot better. Um, but I do love the two and like paternal relationship with Victoria is an interesting and good dynamic. It is a shame that it does tie in a lot to this was made in the 1960s and the female characters were not allowed to involve themselves in much more. Yeah. But I, I do love Victoria anyway. And also, Jamie is just endlessly fantastic. Also, if Jamie calls a character stupid, that's when you know they're an idiot because Jamie's <laughs> such a dumbo. That's not what I was thinking. beastie! Like, what the... <laughs> 
Shush. <laughs> um, I love Jamie, and I love to, and that dynamic really works. And I wish we had more Patrick Stratton stories because of it. It was something that I was going to say if we're going to wrap up two on the Cybermen. Because of more stories from Troutman's era being accessible through animated stories, through audios. Through iPlayer. Yeah, through iPlayer as well. The idea that this is sort of the peak, this is like the best thing ever, you don't really get that now because there's so many other things to watch. There's Power, we already mentioned mm. Moonbase. There's oh, there's one story, I can't remember. Um, I'm not even sure. Watch. We uh, talked about earlier. No, 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 I, I'm, I'm not sure it exists. That's the thing, that there's that one story. Uh, you got that one from story, the, that's yeah, really, that one story. really I, useful. I, what happened in it? I, I don't, I don't, I can't remember. I thought there were like crab, the, cr- crabs or something. Uh, there I, is I, no I such thing know. as macro. I know. Fury from the Deep, mm. The Invasion, uh, Seeds of Death, War Games. Yeah. There are just so many great stories. But then when you no, talk about. Not, well, hold on, War Games, that's 10 parts long. Genuinely, I will fall If Tomb was 10 parts long, War Games. Maybe it would. War Games should have been a five or four part episode at most. Could War Games even fit into one, like, a Hussock watch on slot? We could split it up. We did did um, with uh, with Dalek's Master Master Plan. Plan. We did that on a Tuesday and then a Saturday doing six parts each. But generally, War Games is so long it could not fit into a Who Games. Uh, Who who Games? Who Games? (laughs) This is the game of Who. Also, (laughs) the War Chief. Is a is a character. If you've not watched the War Games, oh, that's a fun one. The War Chief no. is the master. No, thank I, you, thank it's you. an interesting it's an interesting thing. I don't know. It's a good so question. whilst I'd say this isn't the best second story, not it's, even it's, the best side story, it's, it's probably a pretty the most, bad one. It's probably it's, the most iconic. It is a very iconic and fundamental story in that many of the good things it did were passed on to later stories. But that does not excuse how, when you see unabi- how utterly abysmally awful it is. The the nature of the tomb itself failing is an archaeological story in contrast to something like Pyramid of Mars, which also racist, but a lot better. Um, this is, that's specifically the Egyptian like stereotyping, which is awful in that episode, um, uh, especially in part one. But um, you have a lot that works. And, like, that makes actually an interesting archaeological storyline in a way that this ultimately kind of fails at. It doesn't quite... It has a lot of interesting beats and moments and characters, but even ignoring the racism, which is above and flying above and beyond what Classic Who normally does for racism, almost up there with Code of Honor and um, the, se- the, uh, the sexism in it. Uh, yeah, speaking of. Uh, T- turn about. Angel turn about. One. <laughs> um, uh, and uh, the kind of just awfulness of this story, even then, it doesn't quite, in my opinion, it's just not very good, even ignoring all of the racism and stuff. Just, just as a side note, at least Pyramid of Mars has the best visual comedy I have ever seen, with the Doctor <laughs> and Sarah walking into a room. And, and then it's walking out. Yeah. Oh, no, Pyramid of Mars is, a, my opinion, fantastic story, but it is marred by that. Whereas this story is, I will, tr- I mean, it's not just a level of, I, w- I want to just, when I'm engaging critically with a story, this is, you know, the problematic elements are always something that should be brought up and should yes, be addressed. Absolutely. Uh, not to say that if you're a fan of something, you should have to always justify every problematic element and list them off when you say you like something. People shouldn't morally judge someone for what they watch anyways. And there should be more trust because there can often be a sense of watch, like, witch hunting and fandoms and things like that, which I think is a painful thing. But when you're discussing it critically, it has to come up at some point or another because it's so fundamental to the episode, especially in this case, because Pyramid of Mars is a good episode that is marred by these awful Egyptian stereotypings. 
And it's, but it's nowhere near as bad as this one. It's not even the worst fourth Doctor story. Talons, obviously, um, mm. on that front. Uh, but Tomb is a story that is both marred by racism and just being mediocre. <laughs> yeah. I must say, I noticed a lot of elements of Tomb, not the racism, uh, yeah, I was but say. a lot of elements of Tomb are used specifically in Nightmare and Silver. Mm. Like the idea of the Cybermen have been defeated, but Gaunt. they're being brought back. They come out of, uh, like... Supposedly, and like, and even at the end, we zoom in on like the Cybermat or like the the, the, the living Cybermite off of the planet. Supposedly, it, it was supposed Silver. to be the original Cyberman from Moonbase hmm. and Tomb in Nightmare uh, and Silver. Yeah. Uh, there was meant explain. to be a post, like a post-credit scene where they showed this original Cyber Controller at the end. Mm. Obviously, there was a lot of production difficulties with Nightmare and Silver. Uh, it was originally meant to be a two-parter that did not survive and would have been very beneficial for the episode on the whole. Uh, in part because I love Neil Gaiman's writing, and you can do this max, max mix of the... Uh, that's a completely different episode. I like... Uh, Nightmare and Silver had a lot of wasted potential. I Matt think. Smith says that he really liked Tomb and took influence from the second Doctor, so you can definitely see the inspiration there. Most Doctors, mm-hmm. most new Who Doctors... The second. Patrick Troughton is, in my opinion, the iconic... Genuine, I mean, you know, like the iconic foundational doctor. When I think of the doctor, I will first think of David Tennant, and second, I will think of Patrick Troughton. Really? Yeah, oh. that's generally how it that's works fair. for me. I know a lot of people would go Tom Baker as the iconic classic Who doctor. Mm. Mine is Troughton, with Tom Baker and Sylvester McCoy being seconds, because I love them both. If you're uh, talking Sylvester ins- McCoy. Because yeah. if you take inspiration, you can mm. see a lot of two yeah. in four, like, in seven, in 11, yeah. in 13. Even, even in 10, I think. Yeah. Um, uh, especially 13 as well, yeah. Uh, you can see it a lot of places. It's just, it's so foundational. Do in a you way. see two in fourteen, aka Evie? Evie is an interesting question. I don't, I don't believe that Evie has seen classic Who. I think mm. there's a certain element of two, but that might that might. Be I think more it's like, from the eleven, yeah. which two? Because of the new Who Doctors, eleven is the twoist. Mm. And also, I I am I, like. Oh, you've redecorated. Yeah. Yes, this Doctor does <laughs> seem like. I mean, Out of the Shadows feels very much like modern Who-esque. It does. Well, it I mean, is. Spoiling anything. Yeah. All right, all right. It is, it is. Uh, but, it but is like, more new I, Who. I think that's how, like, yeah, there are kind of Troughton-esque elements to Evie Preston's 14th Doctor, but... That's more from the new Who descendants yeah. of the Troughton. Um, I think it, it, it's, it's, cool. it's in a in the new Who way. Yeah. yeah. Let's wrap... Do we have up. any podcast questions? I think we do. Let's try oh my questions. God, wow. right. I get to answer. This been it's been months. It's been ninety four years. Three hundred. <laughs> was it three hundred twelve right years yeah. in a sewer? Yes, I was about to make the same <laughs> sewer joke. Uh, what line from a previous era would you turn into a series arc? I assume is that referring to the Minister of War, because I didn't realise so that is I sorry. Um. Ollie, that is not what that is referring to, and I'm not going to yeah. say anything more than that. You can, um, we can go oh, with that if okay. you want. There was, I know exactly what line Jacob is referring to when he asked that question, and I'm not going to spoil it because I can't. I think I've realised what you mean now. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> Sorry, uh, but no, that is also an interesting thing that uh, I, I wasn't going to bring. That up. There was the under the lake before the flood. I didn't realise until I rewatched before the flood. And someone name dropped the Minister of War. I was like, "Hang on, wait, what?" <laughs> it's yeah. like Jacobs just made made this random name drop into his villain, which I think yeah. is brilliant. Even uh, if that's not the question, not what the question is no. referring to. Um, but it is also a, a thing there. Yeah, uh, Louis, what line do you think? I've always liked the line that the Sixth Doctor says: "The waves of time wash us all." 
maybe it could be something like the ways of time and something weird's going on with time. Not the web of time, which I know is an eighth yeah. doctor thingy, yeah. but maybe some fun stuff that you could do with time travel. Isn't that just yeah. all of the Matt Smith finales? Maybe, but I think it could be done I, nice, oh, nicely. I think if I can think of one line that I would like to see some kind of, without too much, because I don't actually want to see more of it, but the one line that gives a lot of strange depth to me is like the Weeping Angels of Old. Oh, Because yeah. it's the Time Lords have this connection to the Weeping Angels from End of Time in a weird way that is never addressed and never really touched upon. <gasps> and I don't want the Weeping Angels' origins to be revealed. And I, oft, I've talked at length in previous podcasts about my the face of both. tragedies with how uh, some of the Weeping Angels were handled in certain other episodes. Um, but it is something that is really fascinating and interesting to think about what actually happened there. What are they beyond just statues when you when they're moving and I know you see them move in an episode and that's stupid because we don't they talk about that. Which we shouldn't because they should I, I like to think that they don't actually look like statues. They never do. There is something else there and it just appears as a statue when you're looking at it. Randomly, as as good visually as it is, it's one of the things I don't like about the end of um Village of the Angels is that when like when Jodie is turning into an angel, we can see... But reminder, Jodie Whittaker turned into an angel for a bit, and then suddenly she was unturned from an angel, and it was never addressed again. But I don't like that she's still literally, they could have just as, yeah, well, literally, as she's stone. An angel could have just touched her to teleport her across time and space, which is what they do, instead of turning her into an angel for no reason. Cormac, do you have a line from a previous era that you turn into a series arc? I literally don't, so I'm going to say these shoes, they fit perfectly. I think that would make a great series arc. <laughs> Amazing. Um, Ollie. Oh, actually, there's another I one I can know. think of. Uh, I know these teeth. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a second. <laughs> oh, I mean, look, it's only from the time of recording this, 10 days to the Star Beast. From the time it comes out, so it excited. might be just a couple days, or it maybe it will even have already be been week. watched. Oh, nice. Wait, does that mean it's it's eight days until colorized Daleks? Yeah, I, I imagine. I'm very excited for that. Meaning it'll yeah. be a week's time. I mean, I'm very excited for that, mainly because I want the Daleks to be cut down and rescored because it kind of needs that. I'm excited about that, but for some reason I'm being incredibly bugged by the fact that they've made the lights on the Daleks be orange. They weren't orange at that point. What are you doing for being inaccurate? (laughs) It's okay to be inaccurate sometimes. And B, also, in fairness, I think I kind of wish they would release this recut, rescored version still black and white because I I think actually making it colour kind of shows how awful the production values were mm. in a way that actually when it was black and white it kind of looks better that's why i'd it, say some of the special effects in the 60s look better than the special effects of the 70s because the colorization sort of shows you what's going on it does i really dislike how the cybermen look in colored classic doctor who oh, i think they just look stupid and cheap but in black and white classic who somehow even though it's sort of the same design they look quite creepy I think they I mean, look, spe- they're more metallic. Tenth Planet ones, especially. Yeah, the Tenth Planet ones are by far the best. We all, yeah, Tenth Planet. Sound. And we have a, another question. Why do terrified, screaming people sound like applause? <laughs> I don't know. It's the clapping because obviously of the beast as all of them are dragged down to hell. If I get someone scared, I, I frequently go... 
Congratulations. 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 <laughs> For our next one, how does Open Doors stack up against other series openers and companion introductions? Now, of course, we, we love talking about companion introductions. We sometimes always do it the start of every year. I, I, I specifically held this bit off from, mm. from talking about the main episode because I, I had seen this question. But, like, I think one of my favourite things, because it doesn't, as far as I'm aware, it doesn't appear at all in Modern, Hit, um, in Modern Who. It does a bit in Classic Who, but still. Jason deciding to be like, nah, I'm travelling with you, mate. Like, I, I am going to, like, pull this lever and accidentally, like, force myself on adventures. Is so unique, and I love that whoopsie, as like a whoopsie. companion thing. Of like, I of enjoy like, no, a different vector for how a companion is introduced. When you're introducing a new character, generally to make them, it's something you will pick up. It's just the vectors of how they actually are inserted into the story could determine, like, show off a lot about the character. Shows off Jason's more active side, his more willingness to. You don't get if you don't ask. Mm. Um, Which. Because good line in it hindsight, you that's a good me. line. <laughs> I will say, yeah. I think like Christmas and like in terms of Doctor introduction stories, Christmas Invasion and Eleventh Hour are two of my favourite Doctor Who stories I love of all both. time. I know Louis, you have opinions on Christmas Invasion, but I love both of those oh, two, and I feel like almost nothing will ever beat those. Mm. But Open Doors yeah. gives them a run for their money. To be mm. fair, and I, it's, I definitely, I, I definitely like I can't it better than quite, Rose yeah. or Woman Who Fell to I see. Earth. I very much, I really like Rose, breath. and I think Rose is very. I underrated in many ways. Uh, I struggle to, I don't tend to compare Out of the Shadows to main series Doctor Who a lot of the time for many reasons. Mm. In part because they're very, very different shows for different audiences and different things. Mm. And I will struggle to compare what is a very, very good amateur fan production, mm. which is, I'm, and I love Out of the Shadows, but it is a fan production compared to the mainline show with mm. a massive budget behind it. I think Rose is a very underrated episode for how it introduces both Rose and the mystery of the Doctor. Because the plot of Rose is nothing to do with the Autons. It's a very classic Russell T. Davies thing. The monster has nothing to do with the plot. Journey's End, the plot has nothing to do with the Daleks. Uh, that's not where the climax of the episode is. It's about um, the journey. <laughs> it's about the end. The end. Uh, you know, it's, a it's, you know, parting of the ways. The plot is, again, not the Daleks invading the space station. It is about Rose's the Doctor sending Rose from the danger and Rose's journey to return. That is the stakes, the crux of the episode and the, the, the price of that. Mm. Uh, that's, that's how RTD writes. It's yeah, about which, the characters and yeah. their conflict. And, you know, ultimately, Rose as an episode is not about the Autons. It is about Rose and the Doctor. And for that, I think it works fantastically well. Mm. <laughs> um, I really like Christmas Invasion. I know, obviously, it takes a while to introduce Ten. But I think once it does, it like, really goes... Off, and I love the getting to focus more on some of the side characters of the RTD era uh, and establish their positions from branching series one into series two. I, Ellen Fowler, I think I prefer Rose and um, Christmas Invasion to. Uh, Ellen Fowler is a, like, but still a really strong story though. I love, I think it, it's kind of weakened by some of its handling of Amy in some ways. That yeah. early Moffat Amy is. Uh, 
Yes, that is definitely um, we can do. Yeah, I love to see that on like I'm watching the Audacity recording and I just love to see the noises I make like oh no, it appears I've uh, peaked the microphone audio again. I'm oh, leaning yeah, so far away from audio that. when it peaks in this new mic setup is so much worse than it oh, was is it? last oh, year. No. It okay, I didn't know that. The audio. Conversations flash break. I didn't know <laughs> that. Okay, I'll be quieter. Like, see the, the audacity thing because this. I'm, avo- I'm trying. No, like it's actually we're an open society. No, it's, it's helping me try to avoid it more so. Uh, oh, okay. Not that I'm doing a very good job of that. Of... But still, it, my microphone should have been turned down a while ago. Um, I think it stacks up. It'll quite be fine. Well. Yeah. yeah. Our uh, next question. No, oh wait, hold on. I've got a couple more things to say quickly before we move on to the next one. We'll do it in just a moment. Just a moment. Just a moment. I'm oh, we are quite long. Um, <laughs> but that's okay. For the listeners, Louis is falling off his chair. Yeah. Um, Alan Vow does though really work as an introduction to Matt Smith, and I love it for that. Uh, Deep breath, I don't think works quite so well, in part because it is 76 minutes long. <laughs> we did, I mean, it was, in fairness, that was my last podcast before this one, so go check that out. Uh, deep breath, sissy of death. Um, deep death, city of breath. Uh, um, you can, but I, it's got some good ideas, but 76 minutes, it's the, like the longest episode of Doctor, like, you know, the specials that are upcoming, that's 55 minutes, 55, 61. Mm. And those, like, that's good, but why would you make a 76-minute-long episode and make it so, I won't say breathtaking, because it's just kind of dull. Mm. Sorry, that's for that podcast. Anyway, uh, and then Woman Who Fell to Earth was my favourite episode of the Chibnall era, but doesn't stack up to a love that. And I do kind of prefer Open Doors in a different weird way. Mm. It just introduces the Dr. Badder. I'm very excited to see both The Star Beast, but more so Church on Ruby Road, for introducing the new Doctor. Because as much yeah. as 14 is, in my opinion, very much a new incarnation, I'm expecting to see more from Church and Ruby Road towards introducing Shooty and just... I'm so excited for that. We've seen the trailers. As much as it is a new Doctor, it, it's going gonna, it's, it's gonna to be 10 and Donna again, except now it's 14 and Donna. But not the real 14th Doctor, because we all know the real 14th Doctor is the 14th Doctor played by Evie Press. Exactly. exactly. For Evie Press is the Evie is Press, but... Uh, I I don't want to I don't want to, I struggle with doing that specifically for the sake of invalidating an existing incarnation of the Doctor in the show. Uh, Sorry, David Tennant, I'm afraid you've been relegated. Uh, I mean, especially given I know we're going to get for many many years to come that every time you see a full lineup of the Doctor and David Tennant will be there twice. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I, that doesn't bother me at all. It doesn't bother me. Really I think it's really funny as well. Uh, it's more that R2D is there twice than anything to me. Yeah. <laughs> One might like, argue Tennant is there three times. Well, I'd see, yeah. I think less. <laughs> I think this is less Tennant exceptionalism and far more Russell T Davies exceptionalism. And the fact is, Tennant is the Russell T Davies Doctor, especially because Christopher Eccleston would not come back. Yeah. Oopsie whoopsie. As much as Next much question. As Where did Cleeg get the money from? Now we already said that he has British pounds. The Brotherhood um, of Logicians is a rich think tank of people. They yeah, make money yeah, by... They, they like, do logic data analy- analytics. And, how do, uh, how do they, That still has the question of how did he get the money? We how did he get the, the money? Episode, right? <laughs> how is he getting money? Does he <laughs> lecture? Does he, like, like you know, do a bit of work? There are Tory think tanks out there. They exist. I'll shrug and say they make a lot of money. I was going to say maybe they're like mathematicians or something, but they're really not smart enough for that. 
Patrick Troughton decided to, I'm referring to doctors by their actors now, mm. decided to go back in time after this episode mm. to go and force Eric to be the one to get all the money to be able to fund that expedition. So he'd be dealing I with think, an absolute idiot. Yeah, I think, no, in fairness, Eric <laughs> and Kafton, Cleek and Kafton are both representing this brotherhood, which is meant to be this hyper-wealthy, elite, conspiracy theory-esque brotherhood of very smart people. And you can imagine it as it's providing its services across Earth for capitalism reasons, and thus they make money. Uh, no matter how stupid they are, you know, it's like passing on people's data, Cambridge Analytics kind of things. Good question. That's what I interpret it as anyway. I really don't think Clee's money is the most important thing of two of the Cybermen to discuss. Is. It absolutely is. No, I think the racism. Yes. And finally, what's the best way to open a door? Kick it down. We've got kick it down from Ollie. Ask Cormac first. Mine has to be last. Squareness gun slash sonic blast or whatever you want to call it. Call me an empty child fanatic, but here we are. With great strength, that's what I'd say. <laughs> comes great responsibility. With, come, with great strength comes great, <laughs> open <laughs> great, great opening of doors. You know what the best way to open a door is? Strong hands. 700 years of sonic screwdriver calculations to find out it wasn't locked. <laughs> <laughs> And with that, I think it's time we end. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. I don't, I hope you hated it. You've been building up to this. This was your election promise. (laughs) Listeners, you better have enjoyed this. I hope you enjoyed the return of Joe. The return of Joe. (laughs) And now I shall return to my sprees of galactic conquest. Your pathetic planet will not be safe for me for long. Bye. Yes, obviously. Maybe you should. Actually, hold on. There's one more thing that has to happen in this podcast. Oh, Joe, you need to pull that. The door was opened. Door. We'll see you soon. Bye, everyone. Bye. 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 Purple Radio podcasts. Thanks for downloading this Purple Radio podcast. For more great content and to listen live, head to purpleradio.co.uk.